Well, good morning, church, those of you joining us online and those of you here in the room. I remember reading once, somebody said that in life we are always operating in one of three zones. The first you could probably call the panic zone. You can guess what you do in the panic zone, you panic, right? In your panic zone, it feels like you are always out of your league. You're doing things you weren't gifted for or shaped for or educated or equipped to do. It, it just feels like you're always over your head. Any of you been in the panic zone? Hands up. Some of you have your hands up. The rest of you are lying. I, either that or actually, you know, maybe that's you. And, and, and I would love to have you come and preach for the next five weeks. It would be rich. <laughs> At the other end of the spectrum, there is the drone zone. And that's where everything just feels too easy. You're in a job that is far beneath your talent and your skill level. It's kind of like you're an engine with 12 cylinders and you're only ever firing on two of them. Everything is predictable, everything comes easily, and you are bored out of your mind. Not a single challenge, and maybe some of you have been there, in the drone zone. And between those two extremes, the panic zone and the drone zone, is what this writer called the C zone. In that case, C stood for challenge, or confidence, or commitment. It's where your abilities and your gifts perfectly match the task that's been assigned to you. Uh, I might want to call it the joy zone or the J zone because there's just something that feels right about it. I was made to do this. This is me. This This is the perfect fit. God is blessing this in my life. In fact, that seems to be the direction of God's Uh, desire in releasing his people into the world. Last week, we said that God is a giver. Among all the other words used to describe God, that we cannot miss that. God so loved the world that he gave. And it's a gift from God, all of it. He made you. That's a gift. And he made you unique. You are uniquely shaped for all of his purposes here on earth. And there is not anybody on earth who is like you. In fact, turn to somebody next to you and just say that. Hey, there's no one like you. There is no one like you. God does not make copies of anything. Oh, you're enjoying that, are you? Yeah. God doesn't make any copies. There are no two trees that are alike, no two animals that are alike, uh, no two people who are alike. God doesn't make copies. Because, I mean, we all know that the original is worth so much more than a copy. And we've said, and starting last week, we, we began to unfold this a little bit. There are five things that make you, you. And we, we represented them with the acronym SHAPE. You are shaped by God. And you'll remember that SHAPE stands for, the S is spiritual gifts, which is where we're landing today. And the next week, we'll talk about the H for heart. What is it that you love to do? What is it that arouses passion in you and excitement and interest? The A stands for abilities, just the natural abilities, things that come easily to you. You're good at these. You don't even know you're good at them because they come naturally. And then you realize somebody else is terrible at them and have to work at it. And ability makes it seem easy. The P is for personality. 
absolutely distinct about you, your personality. And those of you who were here on Tuesday night, we had a great time in the room, about 60 of us, just wrestling through the issues of personality. How is it that God made you to be you? Then the final letter, E, stands for experiences, which again are unique to you. Your vocational experiences, your relational experiences, spiritual experiences, even painful experiences. Maybe especially the painful experiences. But all of that is you. And God uses those things to shape who you are for the purposes in which he has designed you. And today we're going to begin unpacking those. I'm going to give you three sets of four, three fours. And if you have access to the sermon notes, they're available on the website or you brought them with you, that might help you track with the sermon because you're thinking 12 points. Oh my goodness, we're not going to get out of here until next Sunday. But we'll go through them pretty quickly. I want to begin by pointing out there are four gifts that you receive the moment that you accept Jesus as Lord, the moment that you step across the line and you say, I am a follower of Jesus, I'm going to go God's way, I'm going to let him direct my life and follow his purposes. Four gifts. Here's the first one, the gift of forgiveness. And folks, I tell you, even if there was no such thing as heaven, and there is, but if there was no such thing, it would be worth coming to God and getting your life right with God just for this. So you don't carry a bunch of guilt around in your life. Most people, if they think about their lives, if there is unhappiness, it's because they're carrying with them this constant burden of guilt and resentment. Guilt for the things that they've done or done to others and resentment for the things that have been done to them. And it makes them miserable. And the answer to both guilt and resentment is forgiveness. Asking for it, offering it, receiving it. The Bible says, Romans 5, 15, that Jesus brought forgiveness to many people through God's bountiful gifts. The first thing Jesus does, he says, we're going to get that stuff taken care of. We're going to get it wiped away. It's forgiven. No condemnation. We're going to leave it in the past so that you can move ahead with God's design in your life. That's a good deal. Right? And it's the first gift that God gives, forgiveness. The second, the gift of eternal life. You might call this the gift that keeps on giving. <laughs> no end to this one. God has long-range plans for you. I want you to be with me in heaven forever and ever. Let's just enjoy the thrill and the wonder of an eternity where the God is so vast that it will take all eternity to understand, just to begin to understand everything that he is and everything that he has done. The Bible says here that the wages of sin may be death. That's the bad news. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ, our Lord. And in another church, they might say, Amen to that, right? Amen. You are never going to work your way into heaven. You're never going to earn your way into heaven, but you are given the admission to heaven as a free gift. So the gift of forgiveness, the gift of eternal life. The third is the gift of the Holy Spirit. God says, I'm not just going to be around you in the world, sort of loitering on the edges. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be within you. I'm going to place my spirit within you. Romans 5.5, 5, God has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love, with his presence. How do you know that that's happening, that, that God is living through your life? Well, the Bible says that the fruit of the Spirit is this, love, joy, peace, 
patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These qualities, these are the kind of things that begin to emerge and develop. They are a sign of my life in you. I don't know, maybe some of you have never really felt that, never really felt that, that God is within you. You know God facts, you know stuff about God, but you never had that sense that, that God is at work in your own life. You never feel filled with God. Can I say this? Feelings don't matter so much as facts. There are some days that maybe you feel that and some days that you don't. The presence of God is not so much a feeling, it's a fact. And God says you can trust him in this. The gift of forgiveness, the gift of eternity, the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then lastly, and this is where we're going to focus today, there is the gift of a set of, of abilities, special abilities that the Bible calls spiritual gifts. And maybe that's new language to some of you, and we'll unpack it and tease it out a little bit today. But when you put your faith in Christ, not only is it forgiveness and the eternal life and the presence of God through his spirit, but there are a distinctive set of gifts and abilities that God seeds into the life of his people. These aren't material gifts, not, not physical things. They're spiritual gifts. And they are abilities that are necessary to get the job done that God gives us to do. And that's the key thing with spiritual gifts. They have a purpose in the world. They're not meant to be showy just for the sense of making a splash. No, they have a purpose to them. The Bible has a lot to say about this. At the beginning of the letter to to 1 Corinthians, Paul says, brothers and sisters, I want you to understand these things about spiritual gifts. Even back then, as it still is today, there are a lot of people who, who don't quite have their hands or their heads around it. They don't even know that they've got them. They don't know what they are much less how they're meant to be used. But, but I promise you this, that, that God not only has placed these things in your life, he has placed them in the lives of the people that are around you. And maybe they're dormant, maybe they're waiting to be developed and used, but you have them. They are part of the legacy of God's work in your life. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 1, I never stop thanking God for all of the generous gifts that he's given you. Now that you belong to Christ Jesus, he has enriched your church. It's important. We'll come back to that. Not just you, your church with eloquence and every kind of knowledge. And you have every spiritual gift that you need. Now, it would probably not surprise you to know that the word you there is not a singular. It's not just you individually. It's you together. God places within the life of his people, the shared life of his people, the gifts that they need to thrive and grow and succeed and accomplish the work that's been given. 1 Corinthians 12, that many read for us. A spiritual gift has been given to each of us. That means everybody has at least one. Many of you, most of you will have more than one. But the focus isn't on the gift, it's on the purpose as a means of helping the entire church. And this is where our, our understanding of talent really can lead us astray. Because sometimes we think talent places the spotlight on the people who are most talented. 
Spiritual gifts are different. Spiritual gifts don't place the spotlight on the person who has them, but they, the impact is something that ripples out in the lives that are around them. And if there's any spotlight at all, it's on God who gives the gifts. Let's, uh, let's deal with a few of the what is it questions. What are the spiritual gifts? It kind of starts by acknowledging that, that God has a purpose for your life. And once you say that, that you have a purpose in your life, then you can think of the spiritual gifts as the equipment that God gives in order to accomplish the purpose. He gives you things to do, and then he gives you the ability to do them. I don't think God really asks people to do things that are so far outside of their personality, abilities, experiences, and gifts set that you feel like you're drowning while you're doing it. The moment you accept Christ, the gifts get placed in your life. You don't choose them. It's not like you were given a checklist and say, I I take this one, exhortation, this one, mercy. Oh, and I like the miraculous gifts. They're spectacular. No, God chooses them for his people. And you don't earn them. That's why they're called gifts. They're given, sovereignly given. And here's the really important thing. The gift is not given for your benefit. That's kind of different. We sat around a Christmas tree last month. We unwrapped the gifts that were intended for us, and we enjoyed them. But in this case, the gifts are not given for your benefit. They're given for the benefit of all those people around you. So you, as a gifted person, your gift is intended to enrich and bless everyone else who is here. And other people in the church, their gifts have been given in order to enrich and help you. And every gift is important. It kind of fits together like one big, beautiful jigsaw puzzle. Are any of you puzzle doers? My family are great puzzle doers. In fact, at Christmas, one of the predictable gifts is two or three new puzzles. By the way, we need to organize a puzzle swap because we have so many puzzles. I can't believe we're bringing more. But anyway, I have not seen our dining room table since uh, since the 25th of December. It's covered in puzzles. Most of them are done. And there's one that is beautiful. It's the Eiffel Tower in France. But the thing that you notice about it most is not the Eiffel Tower lit up at night. It's that there's a piece missing. Isn't that aggravating? You do all the a thousand pieces and you get to the end and you realize there were only 999 because the cat ate the other one or something. Yeah. And the focus is not on the whole thing, but on the one missing piece. If there's a spiritual gift in your life and it's sitting there dormant, kind of feels like the missing piece. We all get cheated when it's missing. The Bible has a number of of places where it talks about the gifts. We read one of them, and you see some of the gifts were listed out there. There are at least 20 different gifts listed in the Bible in, in different locations. But none of those lists, I think, are exhaustive. When you say, if it doesn't appear on that list, it can't be. The lists are meant to be illustrative. These are the kind of things that God gives his people. Not exhaustive, as if there, there are no gifts outside of these, but an illustration. There are gifts mentioned in the Old Testament that are absolutely rich spiritual legacy that God gives his people. But the spiritual gifts that God gives, they are not the same as the natural abilities with which you were born. 
Maybe sometimes they appear the same, but, but they're not. When you were born, there were certain things that, uh, that became evident in your life very early on. They're just abilities. Ah, this is kind of silly, but how many of you can roll your tongue? Can you stick out your tongue at somebody and roll it, if you can do that? I'm watching. And, oh, well done, Sheila. <laughs> Pastor's wife can roll her tongue. Uh, about about 53, 53% of all people can roll their tongue. The rest of us are defective. Can any of you roll your tongue backwards and underneath? Oh, now there's an ability. How about wiggling your ears? I'm watching closely. Any ear wigglers out there? Anybody double-jointed in their fingers? How about your toes? That would really be something, double-jointed in your toes. Any of you hear voices in your... No, no. That, yeah. Yeah. I know those are kind of silly, but you know what I mean? That everybody has natural abilities. You've noticed when kids are born as they grow up, there's some things that they're just good at. Some kids are born performers. They're cute. They love showing off. They want to be the center of attention. They're fun to watch. Other kids are more reserved. You look at them and they look the other way. (laughs) Some of you are great at mathematics. Some of you are great at mechanics. Some of you are good at art and music. Some of you are born coordinated. Some of you are fantastic at sports. Franklin, we were talking about sports earlier. You've just got a great sense of balance, and it all comes together. Some of you are coordinated. Some of us are just, no matter how hard we try, that's not us. And that's why I don't dance. Well, I mean, I try. (laughs) But when you were born again, Not your natural birth, but your spiritual rebirth. When you are born again, you come to Christ, there are another set of abilities that are given to you. Spiritual abilities. The moment you step across the line, these things are placed in your life. The difference, if there is, between the two is that spiritual gifts are intended to produce spiritual results. Have you ever noticed the difference between a teacher who may have ability as a teacher, and a spiritually gifted teacher? I mean, there's a big difference, isn't there? The difference is between the ability to give information and the ability to bring about transformation. A teacher can give you information, but when you're gifted, spiritually gifted at teaching the Bible, it has a way of transforming people's lives. It changes them from the inside. Do you notice the difference between somebody who is naturally good at singing and somebody who has the spiritual gift of, of exhortation or encouragement while they sing? Because everybody gets blessed when you're leading. It doesn't mean that you have perfect pitch or a tremendous five-octave range, but there's just something under You've noticed that, I mean, everybody prays, right, whether you do it out loud or in person. There are a few people, Helen, who have the spiritual gift of prayer, And everybody gets blessed when it happens, right? Somebody who has uh, uh, the gift of encouragement. It's different than those who, I mean, they try to encourage you and and they're doing their best and you just sort of thank you, but it's not really happening. (laughs) This is what God says about spiritual gifts, that they are meant to accomplish the purposes that God has in store for you. Why does it matter? Why do you need to know? Let me quickly give you four reasons why you might want to know about your spiritual gifts. The first, and this just sort of fits with the ongoing theme of being shaped by God, your gifts, 
give shape to the work that you do and the life that you live. Remember we said last week that the key principle in architecture is that form follows function. You tell me what you want this building to be used for. Is it a cafeteria or a restaurant or a church or a hospital? You tell me what you want to use it for, and then I'll tell you how it should be designed. But when it comes to human beings, it's almost like it's the exact opposite. Function follows form. Figure out how God made you and how he shaped you. And you'll begin to understand what to do with your life. Your spiritual gifts shape your work. Jesus said this about his own work. He said in John 9 verse 4, I must work the work of the one who sent me while there is still time. Work the work of the one who sent me. Life doesn't go on forever. Not life here as we know it. And I've got to get the job done while I'm here. And that's true of you. Paul said in Acts 20, verse 24, that life is worth nothing unless I use it for doing the work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus Christ. God didn't put you on earth just to be a placeholder. I hope you know that. Just to take up space. You are here because there is a contribution that you were designed to make that only you can make. You say, what is that? And our response is, that answer will be determined largely by your shape. And here's the thing that's tragic. We have survey after survey after survey of people in North America who would say in their honest moments, I'm in the wrong job. The work of my life is a bad fit for the person that I am. I'm in a job I'm not shaped to do. Often people are in it primarily for economic reasons, not because it's fulfilling, not because they're particularly good at it, not because they're shaped for it or they love it, but because it puts food on the table. And I understand that. But let me say this, and it's a hard thing, but an important thing to say. If you are trapped in a job that is not using your talents, your abilities, your gifts, the shape that God has given you? Can I encourage you to get out of it? Life's too short. It is too short to waste it on something that doesn't express who you are and what you were made to be and to do. Get out of it. Uh, Even if it involves schooling or moving or, or a decrease in pay, Your life is too important. God didn't put you on earth primarily to make money. The greatest things in life aren't things. What matters is what God has shaped you to do. And if you have notes, if you're making notes, I want you to write this down. My gift is the power to bless others. My gift is the power to bless others. And I don't care what it is in that long list that we read and there are other lists in the Bible, exhortation, healing, miracles, tongues, interpretation. I don't care what it is. The same answer applies to all of it. My gift is to bless others. And as a believer, you've got one. You've probably got lots more than just one. But it's the deployment of your gifts that really blesses other people. 1 Corinthians 12. Let's recap those verses. There are different spiritual gifts, Paul says, but the same Spirit gives them all. 
There are different ways of serving, but the same Lord to serve. And there are different types of work to do, but the same God produces every gift in every person. You know, there's a word that's used three times in there, the word different, different gifts, different ways of serving, different kinds of work to do, but all for a singular purpose in order to bless others, to serve God by serving people. And you don't do it by trying to be somebody else. You're unique. And so knowing a little bit about your spiritual gifts maybe helps you understand questions like, what is God's will for my life? What does God want me to do? What kind of job? What kind of career? What should be the focus of my volunteer work, the areas of of ministry? They not only do that, understanding something about your gifts also helps you to understand why you see the world differently than people around you. A lot of times disagreements between couples or, or between colleagues have to do with the way that we see the world. Two people approach the same problem but see it from different angles. Let me give you a fun example. Let's imagine I invited a bunch of you over to my house for dinner. We're enjoying a meal together. Fantastic. I didn't make it because that's not my gift. But uh, we serve the dessert. And as we're serving the dessert, the hostess brings it out and spills it all over the place. And imagine you have sitting at the table six different people, each of them with a different area or cluster of gifts, each of them responding in a different way. For example, somebody with the spiritual gift of exhortation. Do you know that word, exhortation, to exhort? They'd be likely to say, you know what? That's what happens when you're not careful. (laughs) People with the gift of exhortation are always trying to figure out how to offer helpful correction in people's life. We don't always like the spirit of exhortation, the gift, but it's important. If you had somebody with a spiritual gift of mercy, on the other hand, they'd be the one to say, it's okay. It's okay. Everybody's fine. Don't worry about it. Because their goal is to relieve embarrassment and to bring healing. Somebody with the gift of serving, they're on their feet before that plate hit the floor. Let me help clean it up. Because their goal is just to meet whatever practical need is there. Maybe there's somebody there with the spiritual gift of teaching says, now you realize the reason that it fell out of your hand is because the load wasn't balanced. The cake was tipping to what, you know. If you have the spiritual gift of giving, maybe you're already out the door saying, hey, leave it with me. I'll run out to the store and I'll buy something else and we'll enjoy, we'll enjoy dessert together. Or maybe you've got somebody there with the gift of administration who says, you get the mop, <laughs> you begin fixing a new dessert, you help me clean this up, and they just delegate tasks. But you see how it all begins to work, and it shapes the way you approach the world. Your spiritual gifts, understanding your spiritual gifts, these things will shape your work. They do something else, though. Your gifts say something about your worth. They're a sign of your worth. Not only do they shape your work, but they say something about how valuable you are to God. The reason that you have value is because of what God says about you, not because of what other people say about you. And so many people need to hear this because we spend our time, we exhaust ourselves trying to pump ourselves up, make ourselves feel better about who we are. And at the root of it is a refusal to accept that what God has made when he made you 
is good. Remember we said last week that the inability to accept who you are is actually an act of rebellion? Hey God, I love what you did when you made Estella, but when you made me, you must have made some mistakes. You didn't know what you were doing. So if God wanted you to be like somebody else, you wouldn't exist. But God wanted you to be you. He made you to be you. And having a healthy sense of self-esteem will always come from, from three declarations. The first is that God created you. The second, that Jesus died for you. And the third is that God, through his spirit, lives in you. And if you can hold tightly to those convictions, then there is a sense, a healthy, righteous sense of self-esteem that will follow. In one of the most beautiful verses in Scripture, the one on the screen from Ephesians 2, God says that you are a masterpiece, that he has created you anew in Christ Jesus so that you can do the good things that he planned for you to do long ago. In fact, that word masterpiece, in in, in the original language, the word is poema. Poema. Can you think of an English word that comes from that? Yeah. You are the poetry of God. Isn't that beautiful? You are a work of art. You are my masterpiece. And I don't want you wasting your time trying to copy somebody else. You're an original. And I put some stuff in you. Gifts, heart, abilities, personality, experience. And I want you to use it. And beyond using it, I want you to know that this says something about your worth. So church, can I say this? That whether you realize it or not, that you are needed, that you are needed in the church, that you are needed in the GTA, that if you weren't needed, God wouldn't have made you because God doesn't make redundant parts. You're needed. The Bible says that you're all part of Christ's body. The Bible calls the church. It's one of the names for the church, the body of Christ. You're all parts of Christ's body. And it takes every one of us to make it complete. We need you in the church. And maybe sometimes we think, oh, MCPC is big enough that I can remain anonymous. They don't really need me. But he brought you here. And he didn't bring you here just to sit and soak and sour or whatever happens. He brought you here to make a contribution with your life and everybody is needed. And when you don't get to be a part of that, we all get robbed of you. Because God made you for something more than just yourself. There are no little people in the family of God. Every role is important. I was thinking about our house. We have, uh, like your house, we have lots of different lights. We have a bright, bright chandelier in our living room. You turn that thing on and uh, it feels like the whole first floor lights up. And and I have these, these focused little pot lights in the ceiling that shine down in my work area, my office, and they're important. But you know the most important light and light in my house as I thought about it? is the little nightlight that comes on automatically when I cross the hall from my bedroom to the bathroom. Lately, I've been doing that a whole bunch more times than I remember at night. But that's, boy, that light is so important. And maybe you're sitting next to somebody thinking, that person is a chandelier at the church. I'm just a nightlight. The Bible says that each of us finds our meaning and function in life as part of the body. 
In other words, you're only going to find it when you get connected to others in God's family. And when you do, it shapes your worth. There's a third reason why you might want to focus a little bit on your spiritual gifts. They are a way of offering worship. When you use your gifts, it is an act of worship. It's not just coming on Sundays. It's not just singing and raising your hands or saying the Lord's Prayer. But it's the using of God's design, of his gifts. That's an act of worship. I think God smiles on that. There's a scene in that movie, Chariots of Fire, old movie now. But for those of us who grew up in the, in the 60s and the 70s, you know, we, didn't, we weren't really allowed to go to movies, except that one. You know, that one came along. That was the exception. You could see Chariots of Fire. Story of a man named Eric Liddell, a gifted runner, fast, naturally gifted, but also a deeply devoted follower of Jesus with a call to the mission field. And he's wrestling between the two things. Do I go to the Olympics? Do I run? Or do I go to the mission field in China? In the end, he does both. He chooses not to run a race on Sunday, a race that he could have won, and, and gave his spot in turn to a colleague who ran it and also won. But but Liddell is famous for so many things. It's a gripping story. It's worth reading or worth watching. But he's most famous for this one line that he spoke. When his, when his friends, his family were saying, listen, God has called you to ministry. You need to go. He says, but there's also this. When I run, I feel God's pleasure. That's worship. The pleasure of God echoing through your life. The Gospel of John puts it this way. When you produce much fruit, our Heavenly Father is honored and glorified. When you use your gifts and use them well, God gets the glory. When you don't use them, then God doesn't. And you certainly can't please God by pretending to use gifts that you don't have. You're not expected to be talented or gifted at everything, but use what God has given you. And if you're a nightlight, thank God for nightlights in the world. <laughs> yeah. Hey, here's the last thing. Uh, your gifts are a way of shining forth in witness in the world. You know the scripture, Matthew 5. Let your light so shine in front of people, they'll see the good in you, the good stuff that you were shaped to do, and they will give praise to your Father in heaven. When you use your spiritual gifts, not only does it make God happy, not only does it make you feel fulfilled, I think it is a profound witness to other people. It's a testimony. And there are as many ways to spread the good news about what God is doing in the world as there are people and gifts, as there are shapes in the world. Thousands of different ways to do it, and only you can do it the way that you were meant to do it. Let your gifts come shining forward. Okay, here is the last set of four, and these will come very quickly. Four steps to using your gifts. Obviously, the first one is you've got to discover what they are. And if you don't know what, you, what they are and you have no idea what all this is about, let me invite you to come on Tuesday night. Tuesday night, we will give you the opportunity to discover and begin to entertain the different ways that God has gifted you for work. 1 Timothy 4.14, though, underlines the importance of doing this. Do not neglect the spiritual gifts that are in you. Figure out what God has given you. Examine, evaluate, experiment. Do the work. Get people around you who see you, because often they will see it in you before you will see it in yourself. In fact, get an encouraging person around you who encourages you to go out and try some things. Get, 
Get wise people around you. Because you may say, hey, God has gifted me. I'm a swan. Look at me. And they look and say, no, you're a duck. (laughs) And if everybody you know knows that about you, chances are you're not a swan. You are a duck. And nothing wrong with that. Just get it right. you got to discover what they are. Here's the second thing. You dedicate those gifts back to God. The Bible says, Romans 6, that you give yourself completely to God since you've been given new life. He gave you all these gifts. And you use your whole body as a tool to do what is right for the glory of God. Somebody, somebody, some of you already know what you're good at. It's not a surprise. And you're already using it. And there's a sense of, of fulfillment in that. God, I'm good at this. And I dedicate what you've given to me back to you. Discover your gifts. Dedicate your gifts. Thirdly, develop your gifts. They're like muscles. The more you use them, the stronger they get. Any gift that God gives can be developed by practice, by learning, by studying, by surrounding yourself with people who can cheer you on and help to to, to grow in those areas. Chances are when God gives you something, if you use it and use it well, he'll give you more. Wasn't that the whole point of the parable of the talents? God invests in people who take that investment and use it well. Discover, dedicate, develop, and here's the last thing. You deploy them. You deploy those gifts. You know what deploy means? I mean, you you put it into service. You get out there on the field and you start doing some things. Romans, Romans 12, 6, we are to use our different gifts in accordance with the grace that God has given us. And if our gift is to speak God's message, we do it according to the faith we have. The emphasis there is on utility. It doesn't do anyone any good if you have all the gifts and they never get used. Deploy the gifts. Everyone has a place. Everyone has a role. Everyone gets involved. Everyone contributes. And everyone is rewarded. And when we miss what God has given to you, we're the weaker for it. We need you. And we need what God has done for you and what he will do through you. Let me pray for you. Will you join me? God, today we accept all of your gifts in our life. The gift of forgiveness for forgetting and allowing us to move past the things that we've done wrong. We place our trust in you. And God, we accept too the gift of eternal life in Jesus because of what he has done for us. God, we accept the free gift of your Holy Spirit work in our lives. Live through us. Fill us with peace and joy and patience. And then, God, we, we accept the gift of these abilities, these gifts that you've placed in our lives. Help us as we identify them and as we develop them. We dedicate them to you as we deploy them in the world. Thank you for shaping us to be the people that you have designed us to be. We pray now in Jesus' name. Amen.